This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Puts it down. That kick is away. And that kick is good! The Seahawks win! It's good! From 42, the Seahawks in overtime win for the second time in two weeks. And they beat the undefeated, now once defeated, San Francisco 49ers. What a game on Monday Night Football. The Seahawks win in overtime, and Jason Myers does it. What a game. The best week of football of the year, I think, hands down, with all sorts of crazy endings, even bad football games became good, good football games became great, and that was the case for last night between San Francisco and Seattle. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin, ESPN's Bill Barnwell will join us in about 30 minutes, then Alex Boone for hour number two to talk about the Vikings' really strong offensive line play against the Dallas Cowboys and how they can keep that up. But, uh, Courtney, give me your reaction to the game last night between San Francisco and Seattle and how that thing played out. Like, what's your, what's your big picture takeaway about the NFC after you saw that? Well, holy cow, that defense is good. I mean, the fact that Russell Wilson Seahawks offense couldn't do anything, their first seven drives and, and Jadavian Clowney does ever, you know, annihilated the entire game and they scored 21 points off turnovers and, then all of a sudden you're faced with a fourth quarter where Russell Wilson makes some key third down throws. And it's not really until that four, that third, third and three, I think it was that 18 yard run that he sets up that game winner. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously is a moment everybody's going to remember from last night. And that's his MVP type moment. But even before that, they had the gall to go for the win there. And that's when he threw the interception. And it just kind of shows you just how quickly this thing can change. And to go and do that against that defense. Just says, I mean, you know, that, that kind of says everything to me of just like where we are here, that how tight this NFC race is going to be. I mean, the Seahawks right now are still locked into that wild card spot um, at seven and three. Um, so are they they're eight and three? Or eight and two. Eight and two. Eight and two. They were yes. seven and two. I mean, the Vikings now are seven and three. So yeah. they're, you know, they're kind of right there neck and neck. But to me, it just, this sets up just how important that Seattle game is going to be for Minnesota. Uh, to be able to jump a spot in the playoff race itself because of just how things are seated right now and how quickly this whole thing can change. But man, I mean, 
you couldn't ask for a better instant classic. We've been we've had some good Monday night football games. We had some really bad ones like the Jets and the Patriots, but that <laughs> makes up for it in my opinion. But just seeing how good this Seahawks team is and how they can continue to win games like coming from behind. I think he's had three uh, come from behind victories this year. That's Wilson. Uh, it's really impressive. All right. Why don't you rank the teams in the NFC now? I had Judd do mm-hmm. it yesterday, and he came out, I think, with the Vikings as the third or fourth, but I think it was third best team in the NFC. After watching how the Vikings matched up with Dallas in a close game, how Seattle and San Francisco went against each other, New Orleans with an incredibly surprising Weird loss. loss yeah. But Green Bay is only one week separated from a really bad loss. The Vikings had their really bad loss earlier in the season to Chicago. And I would also qualify losing to Matt Moore as a bad loss for the Vikings. So we've seen almost every team, if not every team, have that one meltdown type of moment. The 49ers losing to Seattle isn't a meltdown, but they probably should have won the game. Mm -hmm. And Seattle doesn't have the best defense, but they were able to confuse and slow down and hit Jimmy Garoppolo. And the way that they changed that, going like even out of the first half, in the second half, they made so many adjustments on Garoppolo, and that just shows you how they can... I I think that they've... They've been knocked for their defense ever since the Legion of Boom has been dissipated, and that to me shows you that's still a strength of theirs. Yep, they played really well. So where are you putting the Vikings now after this week? Would you still would you fault me if I still have the 49ers as the best team in the NFC? No, I mean, they lost I, because their field goal kicker who they signed yeah, off the street, former went, Viking. He went wide left, right? Way wide like, left, yeah, into the absurd. tunnel. Um, yeah, uh, I'll still have them as... I'm just looking at the standings right now, so I'm going to go... I'll, I'll give you the top five. So I'll go 49ers, probably number one. Um, I'm still going to put the Saints as the second-best team. I think every team's due for a clunker. The Vikings were. Yeah. The Vikings had theirs. The Packers had theirs. Um, and Atlanta, at one time, we thought was a good team, so why not? So I'll go 49ers, Saints. I'm probably, as of right now, going to keep the Seahawks as the third-best team, and then I'll have the Vikings as fourth. And where do the Packers sit? We'll put them at five, even though they have a better record. Really? Okay. Let me give you this stat and see if you change your mind on the Packers. They have five wins against winning teams. Mm -hmm. The next best has three. Does that change your mind at all? Potentially, but I just, I wonder how sustainable this stretch is for, I mean, if they're going into their bye this week, and so if they can continue to maintain a hold of the NFC North, because they're what, separated by a game right now with the Vikings, like that's a good position for Green Bay to be in. But, you know, I do kind of wonder, they've had a lot of breaks go their way. And and that's something that I don't, I don't know how you quantify that or really, you know, you can't take that away from them or say it's something else. But um, the way that the Vikings are playing right now offensively gives me, it completely changes my mind of the dynamic and the makeup of this team and how far this team has the potential to go down the stretch of the season. And I think they could contend toe for toe right now with Green Bay offensively. I definitely think that. And it's weird to say this, it's but so do weird. they have as good of a defense as Green Bay? That is that is the weirdest thing. I thought about that on the plane home from Dallas yesterday, thinking just how quickly, from 2016 to now, how quickly the tides have really shifted for what the makeup of this team is. And it was supposed to... The offense was never supposed to be in a position where it's bailing out the defense, you know? Like... The rare times that that has happened during at least my tenure of covering the team, I remember we you know, kind of asked the defense in a joking manner, like, well, what does it feel like when the offense has to do your job, essentially? And it's weird territory for them to be in, and I think that that's just the way that it is now. 
Like the way that the league is, where DPI is so prevalent, and this they want to create high scoring games and make it a passing league where defenses and the cornerback position. I'm not going to say that it's becoming obsolete, but guys are having to change the way that they play the game. And that's what's going on with this defense right now. If you just want to look back at what happened in Dallas the other night and Mike Hughes getting torched and, you know, the Vikings secondary the last few weeks having some really, really rough outings. But, um, I think it's okay that the offense, that the, that the offense has taken over and that the identity of this team has changed. And that actually may help them down the stretch where you're not relying on your defense to win you a championship as much as you had in years past. You're not really, you, you can, you can put more faith in your offense to get there, which is just something that they haven't had. If we were talking about the roles reversed, having an average offense and a great defense, mm-hmm. I would more likely be saying, sorry, you just can't really win this way. It's it's very hard to do historically. I looked at, for our website, scorenorth.com, the last 20 teams to appear in the Super Bowl, and only one of them, the 2015 Denver Broncos, ranked worse than 11th in expected points added on offense, and most of them were 1, 2, 3, or 4, mm-hmm. the teams that even just made the Super Bowl. And we've seen uh, last year the top four scoring offenses made the, the championship games. In 2016, the Atlanta Falcons had a historically good offense for the time, and they end up making the Super Bowl. And they didn't have the greatest defense. And not every one of these Patriots teams that have gone have had the greatest defense. But they've had Tom Brady and they've had their offense. And it's much more likely that you're going to week to week be able to reproduce what you've done on offense than it is to defense. Like we saw against Dak Prescott, you run into a quarterback who's playing really well. And a great quarterback playing at his best is going to beat even a good defense on a weekly basis. And this defense, I think, is average. And that's where you get 400 yards passing and you almost lose the game. But a lot, see, I had this conversation with someone last night. Is there such a thing as the number one defense in the NFL when even the Patriots are giving up whatever it was, 500 yards to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens? Is there such a thing anymore that we can really quantify defenses that way when every single game is 400 yards of offense? Yeah, I would look at it as how well you can slow down the good teams probably would be my standard for it. So what San Francisco did last night, even though Russell Wilson comes out with a win, it was really impressive. He's playing at an MVP level, and uh, in large parts of that game, they slowed them down, and they played extremely physical on defense. That game was a bloodbath between those two teams Mm -hmm. last night. And then when you look at the overall body of work, this year the 49ers have given up eight touchdown passes and picked off 11 They're allowing a 68 quarterback rating. The Patriots are even better, but they play in the AFC East. So there's almost like an asterisk there. Uh, But the 49ers playing this well when they do go up against the Russell Wilson, I think says, yes, in the playoffs, you might be able to count on that. But historically, it's such a mixed bag of defenses where sometimes it is a number one defense that makes it. And sometimes it's a mediocre defense that makes it not like 32nd. That doesn't happen very often. So you at least have to have a good defense. But offensively, it's much more predictable. The average offense, in terms of expected points added to make the Super Bowl over the last 10 years, has been 6th, ranked 6th. So you better be up there if you're going to do it. Defensively, you could probably overcome it. And this is the first time in the Zimmer era where I would say, you know what? They have an offense who can actually overcome it if their defense doesn't play well. That is why you signed Kirk Cousins. It's finally living up to that, isn't it? I mean, you take a look at what's happened the majority of these last few weeks, like even against Detroit, let's go back to that where Marvin Jones is torching 
your secondary. And Kirk Cousins is able to do what he did at, at you know, at Ford Field and be able to walk away with a win there. Very impressive win when you're down a key piece. I mean, this, this offense has shown it can reinvent itself when it has to. Um, and to do that in Dallas against a run defense that's that good and still say, hey, we're going to run Dalvin Cook as much as we can, but we're also going to get a lot of our rushing yards essentially through the passing game on these short screens. And I mean, you think about that 30-yard screen in the second quarter mm-hmm. um, that that Cook ripped off, and then there was the, I think it was a roughing the passer call, and, and it gave them some, it gave them, you know, a benef- the benefit of that, and they led to a touchdown drive. This offense is capable of doing things. It's not always going to be where they've been in the past, where if things aren't going well, you can ex- almost you know chalk up an offensive meltdown waiting to happen. Um, and I think Kirk deserves a lot of credit for the way that he's playing right now, playing with poise, playing, you know, a, he's always going to play a little bit worse when he is under duress and has pressure. Most quarterbacks are. I mean, take a look at what happened in that Bears game. That's the clunker that they were due this year. Um but, you know, the credit goes out to a lot of different areas. It goes out to really good play calling from Kevin Stefanski the other night. It goes out to finding ways to scheme Kyle Rudolph into the into the game plan when Adam Thielen's down. Utilizing Dalvin Cook in a number of ways, and I think the offensive line has looked really good. I think there's only one way that opposing defenses can slow down the Vikings offense because they are now versatile, more so than they've ever been. Uh, we never trusted Case Keenum to put a game on his back, and maybe we still don't with Kirk Cousins, but a lot of times he doesn't have to. The only way to stop the Vikings from having a successful offensive day, in my mind, is to create early interior pressure that scares Kirk Cousins, mm-hmm. and then he thinks it's there even when it's not. And that's exactly what we've seen in all three losses when Kenny Clark was picking up Garrett Bradbury and slamming him into Kirk Cousins, when the same thing for Chris Jones, when there's a truly dominant and elite interior player who is allowed to get into the backfield and allowed to slow down the run game. See, that's something that Dallas didn't have. They have okay guys up there, and they have some like Michael Bennett who can really get after the passer, but Kevin Stefanski basically said, we're not going to let you get after the passer Mm -hmm. because we're going to throw screen passes, and Cousins talked about after the game how they took advantage of aggressive pass rushers by getting them basically behind the play and then letting Delvin Cook get yards after catch. But if they slow down Delvin Cook like the Bears did and like the Kansas City Chiefs did, and then you get interior pressure, Cousins is not dynamic of of a player himself to be able to move around and make plays like we saw from Russell Wilson. That would be my biggest question when they face Seattle and when they face ultimately, potentially in the playoffs, better teams is... Will somebody get that same effect on Cousins? Will someone scare him early and then you get him going through his progressions too fast? And that's where you see guys like Stefan Diggs or Kyle Rudolph throwing up their hands mm-hmm. when you look at the game back on tape when they're frustrated with Cousins. And that's the one area where they can still be beat. But it seems like that's the only way to do it. And as Kevin Stefanski seems to be evolving as a play caller, like maybe he should have figured out the screen thing against Kansas City a little earlier. Sure. But then he went right to it in Dallas, basically learning from what he saw the week before. Well, and same thing with Max protecting. Think about how many times they use 13 personnel. A ton. You, you look, you and look a, down, yeah. and there's Tyler, there's Tyler Conklin and, um, and Herb Smith, and then Kyle Rudolph on the other side. Or they're even in 23, I think, a few times, if I remember correctly, um, with obviously with the use of the fullback. But um, they're... 
that's never been the issue for Kirk of like sensing pressure off the edge. I mean, sure, there are multiple examples where you can think about some of the screens that have gotten batted down just because of how quickly that thing happens. But most quarterbacks can sense what's coming from the outside. It's what's coming up the interior, like you mentioned, um, that has been the problem dating back to last year, dating back to his time in Washington. Um, if they can find ways to scheme around that and not let that become like the the Achilles heel, essentially, to where Kurt gets skittish in the pocket because he feels like someone's charging right af- right beyond Pat Alfline and going right back to sack mm-hmm. him, then you could be in good position. And I think the screen game, the short passes, getting Dalvin Cook involved in the running game, something that wasn't seen much his first two seasons, obviously cut short to injury, but specifically last year just wasn't a part of it. Um, you're in a good spot. Because that's very hard for teams to defend. That's very hard, for, as we've seen with a lot of these defensive lines they've gone against. Philadelphia, for example, had they beat Philly. Use of the screen game. That was like the first thing that they pulled out that game, and that's important to right. continue that. We remember the bombs, but they were yeah. throwing quick passes yes. to Stephon Diggs. That's how you set that thing up. Getting going early. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looking at ESPN's power rankings right now. In I voted the, in those. Did you? Okay. San Francisco is number two. Uh, Seattle is number four. After that game last mm-hmm. night, it's hard to argue. They've got Green Bay fifth, Saints sixth, and the Vikings seventh up from ninth uh, last week. And I think that's very reasonable. I think it's reasonable to say y- you can't entirely trust the Vikings yet because they were very close to losing that mm-hmm. game. I mean, in all honesty, if they don't run Ezekiel Elliott twice or don't make a number of other baffling decisions the from the head coach, and all that, yeah. yes. Uh, then it's very likely that Dallas wins, and then we're not really talking about this in the same way. And that's just the nature of the NFL, is that a lot of times it comes down to small things that determine how we talk about teams, and it's hard to figure out if this had happened and that had happened. Um, But the Vikings, I think, will have a lot of chances to prove themselves as we go forward. They're going to play Green Bay again. They're going to play Seattle again. I would not write down that Chargers game as being yep. super easy because you have to go on the road, and that's a Chargers team that yeah. did beat Green Bay on a good day. And then you have to go up against the Chicago defense again in Week 17. Um, I think we should emergency right now have you pick the rest of the schedule. Oh, I think that's Lord. a good idea. To, Why don't you pull up, Jonathan, some, some, some music, music here? I think we've just gotten to a point in the conversation where this needs to happen. Let me get you a piece of paper. There you go. You got a pen over there? I've got a pen. All right. This is an emergency. I feel yeah, frazzled. This is, yeah, it's an emergency. Okay. This, I'm panicked. All right, so they are seven and When you get the music, Jonathan, right turn it way up. It's super loud. Oh, my God. Maybe, maybe a little this is, quieter than that. Like what they do at practice, right? When it, the crowd noise? You know, the crowd noise. They have a, a bunch of speakers on a cart that they roll up next to the practice field. Yeah, I feel field. like both those speakers are in my ear right yes. now. Yes, and I'm just going to scream out the games because I'll be, like, under center. Okay. And you're, you're like a wide receiver out there trying to hear. Like, what? What's going on? Uh, I'm just All kidding. Right, I'm checking with the ref. Got it. Okay. Okay, you're good. Yeah, good. you're you're onside. Um, <laughs> home against Denver. When? By week. And then at Seattle. Oh, man. I'm still going to put that down as a loss. Okay. I'm still putting that down I mean, as a loss. The way they played last night. I... Wait, Russell could, will, yeah. I mean, the way Jadavion Clowney played last night, you could say he's the game wrecker that the Vikings well, will have to they, worry that's about. That's why they traded for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, home against Detroit. Assume Matt Stafford is back. Playing. I'll still put that down as a win. All right. Go out to Los Angeles. I can't wait for that one. That is so great for us. At Los Angeles, it's the middle of December. It's so terrible and cold here right now. I just, I'm looking at that one. I cannot wait to go out there. What's your, what's your pick? Probably flexed, right? Flexed out of prime time. Right, yeah. Yeah. 
Probably back I, to like what a one o'clock game. I would think so. I'm going to go ahead and say this is a win. So they're going to be ten and five at this point because the next week when they have Green Bay, ten and four. No, yeah, ten and four at that point. Are um, they beating Green Bay? No, they're not going to beat Green oh, Bay. Okay, so, so Green Bay wins the division. Green Bay wins the division, so they're ten and five. So once again, what does this come down to? Chicago Week 17, a Chicago team that's going to have nothing to play for. Question though, how much do you expect this? To be on the line week 17 when they go up against Chicago again. That seems to be the yeah. Achilles heel for Kirk Cousins. Well, 10 and 6, I don't think you're getting into the playoffs at 9 and 7. Like, you, you, if you have to be, so you're right hmm. now, if I'm looking at this, they're 8 and 3 after Denver, 8 and 4 after Seattle, yeah. 9 and 4 with a win to the, against the Lions, 10 and 4 with a win over the Chargers, 10 hmm. and 5. Yeah. against Green Bay. So, so you've got them 10 and 6, which is where a lot of people pick them. Wait, I never actually pick, I never the picked year. them. At, I did, you didn't give me a chance to oh, pick okay, them. Oh, okay, sorry. So I'm Oh, ca- no, no, let's talk about what's on the line yeah. before you pick this last game. So, so they're going to be 10 and 5. It could be the wild card seed. It could be the number 6 wild card seed right. at 10 let me, and 6. Let me look at the standings here. So Green Bay, they get that win. They're going to be the NFC North champs. So you have Yeah, so they clinch Orleans, in week, six, week 16. We'll win the South. Mhm. We don't know yet who's going to win the West. Let's just say it's San Francisco is going to win the West. Yeah, and we don't know who's going to win the East either. Dallas's only way to the playoffs is by winning the East. So the only chance that the Vikings could be going into Week 17 with some concerns about a playoff spot is if both Dallas and Philly play really great the rest of the way. Or Los Angeles or Carolina. If someone just gets on fire... And goes crazy down the stretch because somebody in the NFC West is taking up one wild card yes. spot. It's either San Francisco or Seattle. Yeah. And then the other wild card spot could be for the Vikings or the Packers, depending on how that plays out. Or if Philly goes crazy toward the end of the season, which would not be unprecedented. They kind of did, did that it last, last year. year. Right. Yeah. Um, so you think a lot is on the line? I think nothing's on the line. I, I think that uh, Philly's not that good, Dallas isn't that good, and. Both teams won't be ten and six. I think there's going to be a lot of teams like Carolina shooting for nine and seven, and Los Angeles. And you think that you can get into the playoffs at nine and seven? I think you can get into the playoffs at ten and six. So the Vikings would be so already would in be, the playoffs at that point. So if they if they beat Chicago, they're eleven and five. I'll go ahead and say that they will beat Chicago in Week 17, and it won't be like it was last year. But I also, for as well as Kirk Cousins has played, for shattering a primetime narrative that really didn't exist in the first place, because like he said, you know, one of his best quotes from the post game the other night was about how, you know, what if J. Ron Kirsch doesn't grab the Hail Mary and the ball gets tipped into whatever other Dallas players next to him? And does, does that go down as Kirk Cousins stunk in primetime? No, it's not fair. And that's been a lot of the games that he's played, not necessarily in Minnesota, but dating back to his career in mm-hmm. Washington, why that record was what it was. Um, so that aside, I just worry about the pressure going into this game because when Kirk plays tight, it's not good. And he played tight in Green Bay in Week Two with, and I mean, it was two. It was two games into the season. You can't really say so much is on the line, but I still think about that game-winning drive that they had the potential for. Game-winning drive they had the potential for in Kansas City. Um, that's the type of stuff I consider when you're thinking, okay, maybe pump the brakes here to think that it's an automatic win. But I do think that they won't no-show the way that they did last year with a shot at the playoffs. So I'll go ahead and say they're going to be eleven and five, which is. One of the many picks that have done this like 60 times already that you've made me do on the show. Because <laughs> um, I fluctuated back from 10 and 6 and 11 and 5. I think 11 and 5 is achievable, but it's really going to, you know, if, if we're on the same page here, I think it comes down to that Chargers game I, in, in week uh, 16, 15. Who's the biggest threat? Who's the biggest threat to the Vikings? Is it the Eagles? 
If for Carolina? That, no, not Carolina. L.A.? I don't trust L.A. after what just happened no, against Pittsburgh. No, I don't either, but probably Philly. They gained some good ground the other night against all three teams, but it's probably Philly. Philly's in the, been in this spot for the last three years. Like lo- lo- losing Carson Wentz in 2017 and watching what Nick Foles does, what happened last year, all that. All right, let's take a break. Bill Barnwell coming up next, and you guys are going to argue about bagel bites? He had a terrible take about frozen pizza, and I'm just not over it. Okay, well, that's important. So we'll get that uh, in with Bill Barnwell of ESPN, and we'll also talk about the NFC Power Rankings and how he sees them. That's when we return. You listen to Purple Daily here on Score North. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Download the Score North mobile app and make sure you register for listening rewards. This month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Visa gift card just for having the mobile app. All you need to do, just download the app, register said app, and enter through listening rewards. After the big 2024 win over the Cowboys Sunday night, Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins talked about the importance of the remainder of the schedule thing. You know, we're certainly happy where we are. The, the, the next games are going to tell the story. You know, so you, people remember how you finish. They kind of forget how you start. So we got to make sure that the finish is strong. I think our, our start has been fast enough to put us in a position. There's certainly games and plays you want back for sure. But uh, it's been fast enough to put us in a position now where, you know, we can we can do something and uh, we're going to have to go, you know, earn it in the second half here. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Now joining the show with myself, Matthew Collar, and ESPN's Courtney Cronin is from ESPN, Bill Barnwell. And uh, Bill, I'm told that we have bagel bite issues to work out here before we get into football. <laughs> What's your Courtney's take on bagel bites? Okay, go ahead, Courtney. It's a snack, Bill. It's not frozen pizza. Frozen mm. pizza is Red Baron. It's Jack's. It's DiGiorno. It's a lot of other things. Like, if you were to tell me Freshetta, those are like the Stouffer's individual things or pe- frozen mm-hmm. pizza, you're wrong, and I will hang up on you. That is a oh. poor take. We need him to talk football. It's fine, <laughs> but I just wanted to get this out of the way. Oh, okay. Does Courtney have access to the, the, the hang-up ability? Uh, no, I've pulled the phone, pulled the phone away from me because he was afraid her. that was going to happen. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to say very quickly. Bagel bites, as a child, literally the slogan is, you can eat pizza anytime. Mm. You can eat pizza in the morning. Do you know how badly I wanted to eat pizza every morning? And as an adult, I don't do it, but I should. I think bagel bites are the perfect meal, not just a snack. A meal. Mm. I have to side with the bagel bites being a pizza and French bread being a pizza as well. 
You guys Sorry. are both wrong, but I, it's I fine. We it can is. talk football because uh, I don't want to get upset. <laughs> okay, football. Bill, at our website, scorenorth.com, I wrote about the Vikings offense and how it compares to the last 20 teams that played in the Super Bowl. It compares pretty favorably. That doesn't mean they can make the Super Bowl, but it's kind of surprising in the Mike Zimmer era to see an offense this explosive. What has been your take on how the Vikings offense has elevated to being one of the best in the NFL? I think we found a great balance here, right? I mean, obviously, uh, the play-action usage has been fantastic. That's been sort of, it seems like, the core of what they've been doing well on offense. The running game was effective earlier in the year. It's still been effective, but um, I think we're seeing more Kirk Cousins in the mix. There's no more of those, uh, what was it, the 10-attempt the, the game in Week 1 against the Falcons. We haven't seen that. He's shouldered a bigger portion of the workload than he did earlier in the season. And I just think I'm seeing a, a team that, you know, the offensive line's playing better, uh, I, I think, than it has in years past, of course. Um, I, I think this is a a, a championship caliber offense, especially in context with the defense. If this were the, you know, if this were the Chiefs and it was the Chiefs defense with this offense, could they win a Super Bowl? Plausibly, but I think it'd be pretty tough. I, I think there's a much better chance with this combination of offense and defense in Minnesota. So they go into Dallas against a very, very good run defense, and they still find ways to utilize Dalvin Cook in the run game, whether it's mm-hmm. effectively util- utilizing your screen game to generate um, you know, your yards that way. So he has 183 yards from scrimmage on Sunday. Um, and you look at the other sideline, and Ezekiel Elliott barely could muster up three yards per touch. Is this the type of formula that Minnesota has to use down the stretch Despite how good Kirk Cousins is playing right now, despite having two very good wide receivers and they should get Adam Thielen back eventually, can this can this formula offensively beat the likes of a Seattle, go on the road and beat the Chargers and potentially beat that Green Bay team, whereas we were discussing before the break, that might be the game that decides the division if Minnesota does lose at home and Green Bay wins? I think absolutely will be the game that ends up deciding the division. And, and I don't I don't know if there has to be a formula. You know, I, I don't think there has to be like a number. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't buy those. Oh, you run the ball 25 times, you win. I think that's just cause and effect. I, I do think obviously this is a team that independent of any, any win state, they want to run the football. They're going to run the football a ton. And I think it is the formula they're going to rely upon. I, I think they could still be more pass heavy. I, I still think they could throw the ball more frequently on earlier downs. I think they could throw the ball earlier in games, not have to set up the play action pass. I think they've already set it up with how they've run the ball in, in, in prior weeks. Um, I think they are going to run the ball no matter what, though. So I think it's it's sort of academic, you know, where I feel like even if I think they could throw the ball a ton and, and win games that way, I really don't think Mike Zimmer is ever going to let it get to that point. Talking with Bill Barnwell of ESPN. Well, let's talk about Delvin Cook here, Bill, because uh, as an analytics enthusiast, I mm-hmm. believe in what the numbers find about running back value and how replaceable running backs are and how you shouldn't pay them gobs of money generally, and you probably shouldn't spend high draft picks on them either. But then I watch Delvin Cook break every mm-hmm. tackle, and I think, well, okay, maybe there are exceptions to every rule. How are you viewing what someone like Delvin Cook, uh, who is averaging over 10 yards a reception or someone like Christian McCaffrey is doing uh, in comparison to maybe the way we think as analytics fans of the running back position. Yeah. I mean, I think you look at history and it says, you know, you have guys who are going to look great for a stretch of time. It's just so difficult to sustain that. Two guys who come to mind for me um, who were kind of seen as, okay, this guy transcends the running back conundrum. He's not a great running back. He's a great player, and you pay him like a great player. Three guys come to mind, actually. Le'Veon Bell, who struggled a lot in New York, and obviously 
everyone's struggling in New York. You know, so I can't even pick on him specifically, but look at Ezekiel Elliott, a guy whose numbers are not that great this year, who did average 2.4 yards per carry yesterday or on, on Monday against a very good, or sorry, on Sunday, excuse me, against a very good Vikings defense, but was not a guy who was able to be a transcendent back in that game and has been kind of ordinary uh, this season. Then Todd Gurley was sort of the picture of, oh, this guy is the ultimate run-receiving run weapon. He's so good at so many different things. Rams have to pay him. That's He's a part-time player at this point, and the Rams are happy with that. Uh, that contract's been an absolute disaster. So for Dalvin Cook, I think if you could guarantee you would get this Dalvin Cook for the next four years, yeah, pay that guy 100% for sure. I just think given his injury history uh, and given how difficult it is for even the most talented backs to stay playing at a high level year after year, um, I would be skeptical. Okay, so in Week 10, there were 11 games decided by one possession or less, which is the most that we've seen in any season. A lot of that happening in the NFC, as we saw in Dallas and a number of other places. What does this say, I guess, about the way that the NFC is trending? Because we were talking about this at the top of the show. When you look at power rankings, when you look at the favorites in the NFC right now, where you slate the Vikings in there, um, It feels like for a team like Dallas, their only path to the playoffs is through the NFC East. And then you have guys like Philadelphia, Carolina, the Rams, who are just barely hanging on. How does this thing shake out the next few weeks? And I guess, like, what is that? What, what's the, what's going to break this one way or the other for teams in the NFC? Mm. It just feels like a total mishmash, right? You know, it feels like it could go in so many different directions. Even you look at uh, ESPN's football power index for the NFC North. Every division, pretty much, nobody's a, a significant favorite. I think the biggest favorite right now, uh, the Saints are at 91%, I should say, excuse me, but the Cowboys are 54.2%. They're the favorites to win the NFC East. The Packers, 67.7% right now. Obviously, I think Vikings fans might you know, think they have a much better shot than that. Um, in the NFC West after last night, the Niners, 67.4% to win the West. I mean, so many of these divisions go in so many different ways. Uh, so... You know, I, I think it's going to be about who stays healthiest, right? I think that always seems to be the biggest thing in terms of figuring out who's going to play well in the second half of the season. And there are, you know, there are occasions where Nick Foles does come in and, and sort of elevate his game in the playoffs and uh, wins a couple of games close in, towards the end of the season, as he did last year. But I just think there's no, there's very little separating these teams. They're all capable of having a stinker like the Packers had against the Chargers a couple of weeks ago, like the Saints had on Sunday against the Falcons. I mean, there are so many... Just the, the, every, every team has a flaw. Every team doesn't have that level of consistency that makes me think, oh, they stand out above the rest of the pack. So uh, I really do think it's going to just be who stays healthy and maybe who gets lucky here at the uh, final few games of the year. Bill, when I was watching that game last night, I couldn't help but think about the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Russell Wilson and how they kind of represent two different types of successful quarterbacks in the NFL today, where you have your mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo, who I, th- I think of as robo-quarterbacks, where y- mm-hmm. you draw it up, They'll do it exactly how you ask them to do it, but they're not going to pull the ball down and run for 20 yards. And Russell Wilson is, if you draw it up and it's a terrible play call, he might just get you 20 yards because he's Russell Mm -hmm. Wilson. And the number of Russell Wilson-like quarterbacks is growing in the NFL with, obviously, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. You know who they all are. I'm curious about what you think of the future of the quarterback position. If 
all of a sudden now with sort of the explosion of these guys having so much success, like Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson, I mean, do we see more quarterbacks now being valued differently, even if they're not the best thrower of the football necessarily, uh, because they're able to extend and, and make plays where there aren't any? And I guess uh, the other part of that question is just, when we get in the playoffs, are those guys going to win instead of the robo-quarterbacks? Because I feel like we saw that a little bit with Jared Goff in the Super Bowl, where he just couldn't take it to another level that he needed to do to beat the Patriots. I mean, the only example I would say is I think about Nick Foles, you know, a guy who I think we'd characterize as more of a robo quarterback than a, a guy who was going to make a lot of big plays on his own and they won the Super Bowl. And that, granted, that might have been an outlier, but that is an example. I think you can win with either style of quarterback if the situation is right. But I think to your point, there are a fair amount of coaches, not everyone by all means, but there are coaches who don't want to coach a guy like a Russell Wilson or a Lamar Jackson because you have to uproot what you do. They want someone who is going to play in, in the scheme they're comfortable uh, calling, who's going to play you know, sort of as a quarterback, who's going to do exactly what they want you to do and very little more. And there are always going to be guys who can do that. There's always going to be, it's always going to be easier to find those guys than it is to find someone like a Russell Wilson or a Patrick Mahomes who can be a transcendent player. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a mix. I think we're going to have smarter coaches and coaches coming up through the high school and college ranks who are more comfortable with mobile quarterbacks and uh, guys who are going to improvise more. I think we're going to see more of that in the decades to come. But I think over the next decade, over the next 15 years, I think it really is going to be more about just a mix. Uh, I think it'll be maybe leaning slightly more towards mobile quarterbacks than we had in years past. But I just think there are a lot of unimaginative, bland, boring coaches out there. And uh, there are some guys, of course, who are willing to change their scheme and uh, they tend to have more success than other coaches, but there's only so many of those guys, too. So speaking of mobile quarterbacks, there's a big game coming up in Week 11 in Baltimore between the Ravens mm-hmm. and the Texans. Um, very much looking forward to seeing Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson go head-to-head here, uh, give or take, if you want to call it that. And there's a lot of ways that you could look at this game, but the way, the direction I want to take this with you, Bill, if you're thinking about most likely to win a Super Bowl or most likely mm-hmm. to lead a game-winning drive, um, you can consider whatever you want with that, the Texans' defense and kind of where it's at and just what the Ravens have been able to do, both offensively and defensively. Who would you give the upper hand to uh, in, the, in the context of most likely to win a Super Bowl and most likely to potentially lead that game-winning drive? I think I'd still say to Sean Watson, and I love Lamar Jackson. I think he's he's a better MVP candidate to me than Deshaun Watson, just because Deshaun Watson's had a couple of pretty mediocre games. He seems to have a couple of games a year where he just where the offense just doesn't work. Uh, it's not even against a good defense. It was Carolina, I think, in Jacksonville this year, and he can't really figure out what happened. But then he's great the other you know eighty five ninety percent of the time. But I think if I want that one drive or that one big game, I just think Deshaun Watson is still a better passer than Lamar Jackson. I think obviously, Lamar Jackson's a better runner. Then Sean Watson, but in the total package, the combination of things, I just think I want the guy who can lead that drive against the Saints. If you guys remember from week one, that game where drive where they actually scored too quickly in hindsight, but two long plays downfield when everybody in the stadium knew they had to pass downfield. Deshaun Watson was able to do that. I think Lamar Jackson is capable of that, but we just haven't seen him called upon to do that all that frequently so far at the NFL level. So I think given those circumstances, I'd rather go with Sean Watson, but I think they're both very, very, very fantastic football players. Okay, last thing for you, Bill. I'm going to give you $110. You have to put 50 <laughs> on an AFC team, 50 on an NFC team for the Super Bowl, and 10 on a frozen pizza, one and only frozen pizza. <laughs> give me your picks. All right, so 
the frozen pizza. Uh, are, we, are we counting bagel bites as an option? Well, you are. So, yes, you're I making am... the pick, not Courtney. Okay, I, I think I gotta go with the cheese and pepperoni bagel bites. I mean, I'm sure we have some money left over. I don't think it's ten dollar pizza. Well, you could buy a lot of bagel, bagel you bites. You could probably buy like ten boxes yep. of bagel bites. <laughs> They're on sale. We are. We're, we're we're having a bagel bite party. Courtney is not invited, unfortunately for her. Um, fifty dollars on the NFC, fifty dollars on the AFC. Are we talking about at their current odds, or just everyone has the same odds? Just everyone has the same odds. Just who your picks would be at this moment. Who my picks would be at this point, I will go with the England Patriots. I think the defense is too good. I think the offense is going to get better when they get Isaiah Wynn and Kill Harry back from injury. So I'd go Patriots in the AFC. NFC is a bit of a mess. I think I would still go with the Saints, mm-hmm. but I think I, I feel I would, I would, if, you gave, if you gave me any two teams and I could take the field otherwise, I think I would take the field over any two teams if you want to choose two teams at the top of the NFC. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to watch as we go down the stretch here, and the Vikings being in the mix, it will be interesting for us. Bill, always great to have you, man. Great pizza takes. Really appreciate you uh, coming on, (laughs) and we'll do it again soon sometime, man. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Bill. Bill Barnwell there from ESPN. I'm sorry. The bagel bite is a form of pizza. We should put a Hole mm, out right. there on scorenorth.com. Well, I'm going to put it out there right now. Uh, because we did this with you, did this with Cheetos, and you actually got the Cheeto himself, the Chester, the Ch- Chester, Chester Cheeto. Cheeto. Yeah, he owned my wife. Um, Wait, that sounds terrible. Online, like yeah. on a tweet. Um, anyways, <laughs> yeah, you got him to respond, so we should at least be able to get a nice pool to <laughs> work with here. Cheetos were a chip, and Chester Cheetah came in and said, No, no. What did he no, say exactly? Not. He said, We a snack. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. No. I think that that's a good that's a good way to um, transition right. the conversation here. Um, okay. I'm I'm putting it out there right now. Our bagel bites a frozen pizza is the way I put it on my Twitter at Matthew Collar. So go vote there, mm-hmm. and hopefully we can get a bagel bite mascot to weigh in. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We got Alex Boone coming up at three o'clock. No, wait. We don't have to take a break. Sorry, old clock. My mistake, Jonathan. Um, scared me there. Yeah, I know. So let's react to what Bill Barnwell said. Uh, I had the Michael Scott gif in my head, or gif, depending, because you just want to fight everything. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but when he said Patriots, I just went like, no, no, no. Like, th- Is it going to happen again? Probably. Is it? Because the Chiefs' 6-4 six, six and four record right now, their defense is losing them games. Patrick Mahomes can do everything he wants. He'll stay in the MVP conversation for as long as he continues to set these NFL records, you know, pass records for first 25 games. He's reached like four of them. Um, and he, you know, comes back, throws for over 440 yards, and they still lose. Um, I worry about the Chiefs' defense at this point in the season and wondering if, are they going to be the major letdown? Going into you know the 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 AFC title game like they were last year. Granted, it was a penalty. Yes, I understand. But like, is it going to be worse than that this year? I I wonder about the Ravens too. Can this be sustainable? Can they be a team that takes down New England in one of you know one of the postseason rounds? What about the Texans? Deshaun Watson's doing everything. Is that can that defense finally help them out? They have like no bodies in their secondary. I don't know what's going on down there. So I mean that that to me. When I'm looking at like the top four teams in the AFC and wondering who's going to catch up with the Patriots, I just have a hard time believing um, 
that the way that that defense is playing, the way Stephon Gilmore is playing. I mean, if you want to put somebody in like the the dark horse candidate talk for defensive player of the year, even move him into MVP caliber conversation, I would consider him in there just as much as Minka Fitzpatrick, Aaron Donald, any of those guys. But um, I have a hard time believing that the New England Patriots aren't going to be the favorite at the end of the year. So I'm looking at just... And num- it's not Brady, just to let you know. It's not Brady. It's not just Brady. He's only played okay. Yeah, he's played this very year. it's it's kinda like Aaron Rodgers in a way, right? Like think about what Aaron Rodgers has done. His numbers are nowhere near where they've been ten games into the season or ten weeks into the season in previous years. I think he has his highest passer rating in three years, so that's great. But look at all the help he's getting from Aaron Jones. Look at the help he's getting from his defense. I mean, that's kind of mirroring a little bit of what's happening in New England with Brady. I saw Zadarius Smith had 12 pressures in the game against Carolina. He is defensive MVP caliber. Um, When I look at the offensive side, which is generally more predictive than the defensive side for which teams go deep in the playoffs, and that makes sense, right? If your defense doesn't play that well, you go against another great quarterback, you need to be able to outscore them, and that's why I would have more confidence in the Vikings than I've had in a very long time, that they could actually go somewhere. Kansas City and Baltimore are number two and three and expected points added, and then Houston is number five. So they're all ahead of... The New England Patriots by a lot. The Patriots are only 17th. They can't run the ball at all. They let Josh Gordon go. And Mohamed Sanu is an okay receiver to fill in, but he's not Josh Gordon. And he's not Antonio Brown, who they briefly had and would have been a, a huge asset for them. I don't know if Rob Gronkowski is coming back, but he's, let's I, assume that he's not. Like right. Let's assume that he's not. I don't know if they can go through the playoffs and win. And I, I look at their defense and I have to say, This is the year of who did you play, right? Like schedule-wise, how many wins against good teams? How did you perform against the good teams? Because the bad teams are just a flat-out atrocity. They're not just regular bad. They're worse than ever. And for New England, I mean, maybe their Pittsburgh win early in the season looks better now since Pittsburgh's gotten it together. Aside from that, though, they didn't. that was when uh, Roethlisberger got hurt, right? Mm -hmm. So they would be playing uh, this year wins. Miami. The Jets, the Bills, Washington, the Giants, the Jets again, Cleveland. That's where they got this amazing defensive record. The Bills win might be their best win to date, or at least, I guess, their most impressive. Yeah, and they won 16-10, and Josh Allen is bad. And then they go against a team with a real offense and give up 37 points, and, and seven of that is on a fumble return for touchdown, so let's just say 30 points. I'm not entirely convinced that they're not going to get exposed down the stretch a little yeah, bit for having a much more average defense when they sure. play Philly, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City in one stretch. Yeah, no, that's in yeah, Kansas City and Texans in there too. Like, I mean, they've got they go two they have three of those well, three of their last six, three of their next six are on the road, Eagles, Texans, Bengals. But I mean, you 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 see where this thing could fall for them. I mean, you could you could feasibly lose to this Eagles team. They're not bad. They're just kind of hanging out, hanging out there in like seventh to eighth, eighth spot NFC purgatory, where they're relying on what happens ahead of them uh, in order to help their own playoff standings. But you know, I don't count the Texans out. I do not count the t- Cowboys team out. I think the Cowboys could very easily be a playoff team. It just might have to go the way of the NFC East to win it. But this Patriots team, I don't know. I mean, I think that when you talk about Mohamed Sanu. Um, 
and like kind of what he's it's amazing how quickly when they pick up guys off the street or you know if they pick up guys via trade whatever it is how quickly they can become part of that scheme i think that he i know he's not josh gordon i know he's not antonio brown but he has come become a very quick part of what they're doing offensively you ready for the results of the bagel bite conversation right now sure. we got 200 votes already Whoa. And the early results are, nuts. are leaning in your direction thank you that 63 percent are saying a bagel bite is not a frozen pizza 37 percent saying that it is a frozen pizza and some are saying no sorry that's just a snack i'm looking at your mentions right now um lots of people respond yes it's science excuse me jeff russo <laughs> who are you um so they, what my god no thank you to that person yeah. Um, another controversy, food related. Yeah, no, um, but they're elite. To your to your point, though, that you were talking about um, with Seattle and what they have now, weren't you? Yeah, okay. Eventually, so, <laughs> we can get back to the football. Uh, I just wanted to mention the Josh Gordon thing. Yeah. Is like he is the weirdest player ever. I mean, he's he's suspended a bunch of times for stuff that is just not super serious. With alcohol and weed, and like, really? This is why this guy's career is being ruined? I mean, ruined? but it's also, a, like, he's been in, like, in that treatment and addiction and things sure. like that. Like, it doesn't, it does sound quite serious if I'm looking at it that way. Um, I mean, no, I'm, I'm not saying yeah. that he's fine. I'm saying that, like, being suspended for that is really shocking, the amount of suspensions that he got, considering other people get four-game suspensions for being, like, a domestic abuser. Like, really? Is this what we're doing I think Josh Gordon? Don't you think they were looking at it kind of as at the pattern, though? Because it's literally everywhere. Yes, and, like, yes. the NFL takes their substance abuse policy probably more seriously than any of their other policies. Yes. And whether you like that or not. I guess I'm saying that it's shocking how many games he's missed because of it and yeah. not... And how, and how he's serious. still in the league. That's my thing. It's like, this keeps happening, and he's still in the league. So he goes to New England, and we all expect, oh, he's just going to dominate in New England. And, of course, they'll turn him around, and then he'll have a Hall of Fame career, right? Because it's New England, and that'd be classic. And then he gets injured, and they release him kind of out of nowhere. Like, what? Wait, why? And then he goes to Seattle, makes some plays last night. He's a great receiver. It, it changes the dynamic of Seattle's receiving core if the guy stays in the lineup for even what the Vikings are going to face in a couple of weeks, because DK Metcalf, I think you can slow him down. Tyler Lockett, you can't. And it's uh, the reports came out today that he's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Tyler Lockett, you cannot slow down. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL. And now you add another one who torched the Vikings a little bit last year. That's a little bit of a game changer there. And it's such a bizarre move that I, I want to keep a close eye on what happens with Josh Gordon. If he's in that lineup, they're great. If he isn't, I think they have. And they've got a, a, like two weakness. passing options. Right. Yeah, I mean, because he lost. What was the name of that tight end that he lost? Like in week seven. Yes, there was a tight end. Yeah, and, and I'm they, blanking on it. They have had so many injuries to overcome in Seattle, and I think that that's the type of thing that's going. Like Bill is talking about the very simple principle of staying healthy down the stretch, and how that's going to determine who goes where in the NFC. Um, they cannot afford to lose any more of their receiving options because Russell Wilson has already so much of a load on him this year that that's like, that could be the dagger right there. But they're kind of in Vikings territory with that. But even the Vikings were able to compensate for not having Adam Thielen in, in, you know, executing some other options in the past game with Kyle Rudolph, things like that. But um, I don't know if they have any running backs as dynamic enough to, t- to shoulder on that load just the way that Dalvin Cook has recently. So, I mean, that is something to keep an eye on. Let's talk about the Vikings' offensive line play with Alex Boone along with what it's like to play in a Seattle-San Francisco game because I think that one was a classic 
last night. We'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit FederatedInsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. And they give it to the main man, and that's Cook, and he takes it in on a fourth and goal on the final play. And they can't stop it. Right. That's the good part. Uh, it just it just breaks your will. Um, you know that's that's the one thing with football is you know it's a tough sport and if you allow people to run the ball like that against you, then uh, uh, it really deflates you. I think. I love how much people love saying the word football. Don't you? Just like every press conference, every analyst, every morning show that leads up to the games. I don't get to see them very often, but I watch them before the Dallas game. And at one point, Phil Simms said the word football five times out of like eight words. He was like, you got to run the football, and then you get the football, and you throw the football, and you're like, man, it is a great word. Uh, speaking of loving football, Alex Boone now joins us, Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin. Um, why is the word football so fun to say, Alex? Dude, football. Oh, my God. Right? What a great weekend of football, too, huh? It really was. I was just walking around thinking the word football over and over again I mean, after that weekend. I mean, think about Saturday, too. How many awesome college games they were from the Gophers and Penn State to the way the LSU and Alabama finished and even Baylor and TCU. I mean, there was a it is that damn season. good slate of mm. games. You know what it is? I think it's the season where everyone's played with each other long enough. So it's not like a bleep show sometimes. And you don't see players look at each other like, what were we supposed to do on that one? And, you know, I, I didn't really <laughs> tackle anyone in a really long time. So I didn't want to do that in the, the beginning of the season. But last night, Alex... You had to be having flashbacks to Seattle and San Francisco games because that one was as physical of a game as I think you will ever see in the NFL today. Dude, it was epic. And it it was the cliche Seattle 49ers rivalry, and it was so fun to watch. I mean, talk about a game going back and forth, and you knew Russell was just going to come back and do it. And Dude's an MVP for sure. Man, incredible. Uh, Russell incredible. Wilson. Uh, now, how do you rank the NFC teams? Because we were having trouble with this earlier after seeing what Russell Wilson did like, man, I don't know that that team is as strong, but look at this man. Right. I agree. And I think that, you know, there's some things that the 49ers have to clean up now. Like, they put out a lot on tape that just doesn't look good. Like, their offense, kind of the offensive line, more importantly, just look, did not look good. And I think a lot of it is when you put new guys back in and, you know, you've had guys in there for a while, it, it takes a while. And then all of a sudden, Jadavian's just having a day. I mean, the dude was all over the field last night and just made Jimmy look not very Jimmy-like, you know? And he was pressured a lot and he's hurried a lot and the ball's kind of coming in places that he doesn't expect and he's taking all these hits now and how about the sack that they called leading with the helmet like are you serious with this now like these poor guys are getting sacks getting flagged so you get a sack but then it's negated and they get 15 yards like how terrible has this league become yeah the, the that's something we would definitely want to get into here uh, i'm curious about some of your takes from the sunday game with the vikings and phantom holding calls but oh. real, but really quick 
I've always been curious about this for the for the 49ers and Seahawks rivalry. Which was the better place to play in Candlestick or Levi's? Oh, Candlestick for sure. I never get see when I was out there. I, I I got out there in 2016, so I never got to uh, go to Candlestick. I was you know they moved oh. in 2014, so you missed it. I remember they, watching those games on TV, and it looked yeah. awesome. Is there they, any better uniform than the San Francisco 49ers under the lights? Like yeah. I just love games mm-hmm. that are in San Francisco that have them. You know, with the, it's just an all-time great jersey, and it looks great on primetime. Agree, and I love that they brought the retro back because they didn't do that for a while. Yes. We just mm-hmm. had this most basic jerseys, but I love that they brought the retro back because it brings like an old school classic feel back to the game, which is cool. But you're right; it's it's the whole atmosphere there, and the weather is always perfect. Like you're paying for the weather, believe me, in taxes you are. <laughs> oh yeah, you're paying for the weather in Santa Clara. You probably weren't oh, paying for yeah. it in San Francisco when it's right on the bay. Everywhere, I mean, you're paying for it everywhere. But it was beautiful all the time. I will say though, in Candlestick, because it used nobody knew this, but it was right on the ocean, like yeah. right next to the ocean, freezing. It, it, at night, it would get so cold. Like teams would come in unexpectedly. They'd be like, "Dude, who knew it would be cold?" They're like, "Yeah, we don't tell anybody. We just have to figure <laughs> it out at the end of the day." It was great, though. Yeah, that was a fun game. All right, so Man. give me give me where you see the NFC teams, the top NFC teams after this week. A big win for the Vikings, which we'll get into with you over Dallas. But that's the yeah. one we say, all right, now you've beaten someone. That's a, right. a good offense, and you got a great performance against you, and you still were able to come out on top. That means a lot to me. But Green Bay won a grind fest, too, and Green Bay has five wins over winning teams now. Right. And then New Orleans falls apart. San Francisco gets beat close, but Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't really look like a quarterback who can overcome things. The Rams uh, lose. It's it, right, and the Rams just to the fall, backup fall quarterback of the Steelers. Yeah, I mean, dude, this this NFC is incredible right now. Like teams are up and down, and and like you said to Minnesota, I think the one thing that people aren't getting credit enough for is the rushing attack that they put on Dallas. I think everyone right now is like, well, Dalvin really didn't go off, but like, let's not forget, like two weeks ago, everybody wanted to crown this defense like the hot boys. These dudes are on fire. They they're going to stop everybody, dude. Dalvin just ran right down the middle, and you couldn't even stop him. So I think that if there's any talk of Dallas being up there, they, they should come down a couple pegs. I think that the Vikings go up. I think that the Saints go way down. I mean, I don't know how you can lay a goose egg. Like, that's not even a trap game to me because a trap game to me is a team that's not in your conference. Anytime you play a team in your conference, you should be prepared because the other team is more than prepared. They are qualified to be out there and hate your guts. So when you kind of just put a goose egg out against a divisional team, that to me is like, what is going on in your building? Like you, sometimes you guys look great, and sometimes you look terrible. And I think that that's the ebb and flow of this year that's making it hard to figure out who really is good. So with the Vikings, and you bring up Dalvin Cook in the in the running game, um, they were. What happened in that game seems like what should have happened earlier against the Chiefs, where you yes. go to the screen game, where you are able to ignite you know, a 30-yard gain off of a very short pass to Alvin Cook. And I think that somebody actually pointed that out on Twitter. There were only 10 defenders on the field um, on that uh, 30-yard screen pass <laughs> for, that was great. for Dalvin. And obviously the rough in the passer helped. Um, how does this carry over? Because he had 183 yards from scrimmage. He leads the NFL in yards from scrimmage. And certainly Dallas goes in saying, hey, we have the best, one of the best run defenses in the NFL. We're going to stop him because they don't have Thielen. And right. it's going to try to make the passing game very one-dimensional. And they couldn't do that. Why? 
Well, I think a lot of it is a lot of talk and a lot of talk from people outside of their building. Number one, I don't think you would ever want to go in and say, we're going to take the wheels off the bus. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. There's some bears you don't poke. Okay, Dalvin would be one of them. I wouldn't let my team go all willy-nilly talking a whole bunch of smack to Dalvin Cook right before we played. I'm like, dude, that's the one guy you don't want to get started. And you saw because there are times that three guys are bouncing off Dalvin. Mm-hmm. And he's probably in the back of his mind like, really, you're going to stop me? I want to see how many of you can stop me. I mean, watching that game brought back so many flashbacks of just hearing pads crack around you that you're like, dude, that was epic. You know people are hurting. And it's so much better because the week before you would watch like Vander, uh, that rookie Vander Edge, you'd watch mm-hmm. him single-handedly take down Saquon Barkley. They're like, this dude's amazing. I just watched him bounce off Saquon what, or uh, Dalvin three times. I mean, not even get close. I mean, that shows you exactly how powerful he is, how strong he is, what he brings to this team. The whole game plan for them was like, hey, listen, we're, we're going to have to try and stop Dalvin as much as we can. And they couldn't even do that. I mean, they tried as much as they could, and they were still bouncing off him. That's awesome to me. Yeah, and, and that's Alexander Madison, too. I yes. mean, you think about that one drive where they had the 10 straight runs that led into Cook's two-yard touchdown uh, on fourth and two, and then the second two-point Which- two point conversion. Which was nonsense, though, because did you see how they like, well, they're going to go review it and he's down, but you know, his back, dude, who's really going to go back and look at that? I mean, that was like a one inch mark that they had to go yeah. back and look. Are we really going to do that? Like, that's just another petty thing. Like, I just, you're watching these games and you're like, dude, they are destroying them. And then all of a sudden the refs have to butt it. Ah, oh, it wasn't a touchdown. He was technically down at the one inch line. Like, dude, really? Yeah. And I mean, so obviously that one gets called back and it was not called back. They start at the one yard line. Irv Smith false starts. Dalvin gets nowhere on second down. They run fullback power on third. Yet they still stuck with the run there. What do you? Why did they do that in your mind? Why didn't maybe you know on second down they throw in some some you know boot action? Like I, I was kind of surprised about I, that. I, as much as it worked, it, I wasn't. I, I think that Stefanski knows he is not John D. Filippo, and I guarantee you that there's some people around him that are like, dude, we need to push the run heavy, like. To me, Stefanski's saying, I'm going to push this gas pedal as hard as I can until you physically force me to stop it. Like, we will start with little, little tidbits, two yards, three yards, two yards, three yards. And I'll keep going for four quarters because I know eventually Dalvin's going to break one or you're just going to keep bouncing off of him and you're eventually going to quit. You could see the will of the Cowboys quit as the game went on. Like, they were kind of like, they started off really low and then they kind of got excited in the second quarter and that's who they are now. Like, they're not going to come out and punch them out. They're going to kind of come up and, you know, chase the rabbit a little bit, come after you. But then all of a sudden, the more Dalvin kept getting the ball, the more they were like, you know what? Yeah, you're, you're right. We don't want any of this. We don't want to play with this fire. And maybe we aren't the defense that we think we are. So this is a great point because when they run on fourth down, I was just watching this drive back this morning. It's a pitch to the outside and Ham takes care of his guy. It's a cornerback. No problem for a fullback. Deserves a neck roll for it still because what yeah, a oh great yeah. game by CJ Ham. And then it's Leighton Vander Esch against Kyle Rudolph. Now this should be a situation where Vander Esch can take care of business and bring down Delvin Cook at a huge stop. But Rudolph just gets like a half a pad on him, and Van Der Esch just kind of falls out of the way. It was clear that those linebackers were so beaten down. On even yeah. the Alexander Madison run of 17 yards to the goal line, Jalen Smith gets pushed by Dakota Dozier and just wants none of it at that point. You can see it. He yeah. just like he doesn't continue to pursue, and he's like, I don't really want to just let him score and let Dak kind of take care of this problem. And that 
I mean, that is unusual. We used to see this a lot when teams would run 40 times a game, but this is unusual. This isn't Christian Okoye slamming into the other team over and over again. And I thought, what a victory for the Vikings offensive line that has not had a great season and has been beaten down on a number of occasions where they lost. But to just physically maul another team to the point where their linebackers are giving up. Yeah, for sure. And like... An old coach used to say, a rising tide lifts all ships. You see these guys playing better. I mean, the more Dalvin gets the ball, the better this offense plays. As a whole, as a unit, collectively, individually. I mean, you go into Dallas and you give up one sec. And even that one sec, like, I see what Riley saw. I was like, man, that's really tough not to do. Like, Riley, I totally would have done that. I get he saw, he thought it was a twist. Yeah, like, he thought he thought he was supposed to be run blocking, correct? No, he thought it was a twist. The, the D lineman kind of flashed open to him. And so when you flash color like that, normally the tackle thinks he's getting picked. So it looked like he was about to grab the D tackle and Robert kind of went around him. Now, here's the thing. It might have been a twist, but Riley reacts so fast that Robert's like, hey, listen, I already have a straight shot to the quarterback. I'm just going to continue to go. You know, like it turned, it turns into, it looks like they're just straight rushing, but it could have been a twist to start because the way that I think it was Al Woods, like kind of flashed open to Riley. I would have done the same thing. So I get it, but they're playing better. And yeah, Kirk's still getting hit here and there and he's he's playing tough i get it but you know what it's a physical game and they're playing better as an offense and it's all revolving around dalvin and like you said people are kind of like second guessing themselves after they take a couple hits like hey listen i know that dude's gonna run me over do i really want to get in his way or should i let the cornerback do it maybe i'll let my friend (laughs) you know i'll push it to him oh somebody got a hand on me i fell down no like when you talk about that fourth down al woods had dalvin cook with two hands and he fell off of him. Like, dude, you are a 350-pound defensive lineman. You are not supposed to fall off the running back. And Dalvin made it look easy. So I think we're all in agreement here that this is the formula you need to beat teams, beat good teams, beat the teams that you could potentially see in January, carrying that forward. There's a skeptic in me, though. I guess it's, let's just call me the New England Patriots and think right. that, um, you know, reinvent yourself every single week to be less predictable. The Vikings don't do that. They are who they are offensively, and this is their identity. How does that not become so predictable that eventually someone is going to stop it, like Green Bay in Week 16, potentially? I know that they've got a very struggling run defense at the moment, especially after what Christian McCaffrey did last week. But does it not feel like this could come to a head at some point? Like, it might be too predictable? Am I? Am, do I is that wrong? No, I agree with you. I think that you, I mean, they're sticking to the same formula. We're going to pitch the ball to Dalvin and we're going to let him find the lane. And then if after that, we're going to hand the ball to Dalvin and let him find the lane. And then we're going to maybe run a little power, a little counter. You're right. Eventually a team's going to be like, hey, listen, we're just going to crash the ends. We're going to run a sawed off. We're going to bring the corners. We're going to start having guys go low. We're going to let the full, you know, the linebackers cut the fullbacks in the hole. Like eventually people are going to try, but until you do it. And that's a very big statement right there because mm-hmm. you actually physically have to put your pads on and go out there and say, Dalvin, I'm going to stop you like the Chiefs did. Like that was the biggest fluke to me that the Chiefs stopped this run game. Like of all the teams that they've played this year, the Chiefs went one of out the worst, stopped. one of the worst run defenses in the NFL, like bottom, right. bottom five. But you think about it like perfect storm, their house, they're playing with a backup quarterback. So they kind of have a little chip on their shoulder. They get Chris Jones back. Now they're, you know, now all of a sudden you go into Dallas and now all of a sudden Minnesota kind of has a chip on their shoulder and Dalvin's showing it. Now the offensive line's playing better. Now Kirk's playing better, but you're right. Someone down the road again is going to stop it. I mean, look at Seattle. Look what they did to San Fran. They pretty much kind of shut the run game down. They'd only shut the whole offense down. They were like, listen, man, we're just coming for you. We're just going to 
cause cre- havoc everywhere. We're going to let the linebackers shoot the gaps on pass plays. Everybody's going to go everywhere. And eventually, even the good teams get caught up, and you're like, dude, what was that? Because they did not look like an 8-0 team last night. So let's say that the three of us were a coaching staff in the NFC, and we were going to face the Minnesota Vikings in the playoffs. What would we be saying about our defense and how we were going to stop this Vikings offense, which has quickly become one of the best offenses in the NFL, which still, guys, feels weird to say about a Mike Zimmer offense, and I I guess everyone who criticized him for wanting to run too much, like, well, he knew how good Delvin Cook was going to be when he wanted to run and then throw play action, and they're using play action more than anyone else. But I, I want you both to give me your formulas. Like, if you are another team, is there a formula to slow down the Minnesota Vikings, especially when Adam Thielen comes back? Why don't you try it first, Courtney? Well, I want athletic linebackers. Can I create? Am I like <laughs> just bad? Yeah. Can I just like say what kind of personnel I well, want? And yeah. Then, uh, to the some to defense. some extent, yes. Yeah. I'll take Ray Lewis, <laughs> Brian Urlacher. Yes. Yes. Well, Deion Sanders and Rod Woodson are my corners. No big deal. I think. I mean, in a way, what the what the Cowboys did, or what they at least tried to do, I'm going to do the opposite of that. Because he had, what, 86 yards rushing? It was like 47 of those yards were after contact or something like that. And then he had about like, it was 183 yards total. And it was like about half and half from, you know, from passes and essentially igniting the run game that way. I think you're going to try to, you're not going to try to be able to eliminate the screens because they happen too fast. And, and that's just the area you expect them to kill you. I, I really truly believe that there is very little answer. Uh, unless you're bringing so much pressure off the edge that you're forcing Kirk into throwing passes that get batted down or picked. Right. But I think you, honestly, I think you kind of have to like give them the advantage of, okay, like we'll try to stop the run. I mean, we'll try to stop the screen passes, but that's not going to be the answer and just try to like load up the box and try to stop the run that way. Because Dalvin's going to be your answer. That's going to be their answer, even when Thielen comes back. Agreed. Agreed. And I think that when you talk about the playoff defenses, you're talking about defenses that can normally stop the run. Maybe their pass defense is a little shaky, but mm-hmm. for the most part, they're, they're an all around team, right? So you're like, how do you go against, the, if anything, like if you're going to s- scheme it up, yeah, you got to bring pressure when they do those bunch formations. You got to bring pressure because number one, that's either they're going to be tossing it to Dalvin that way or they're going to be running it the other way and you're just going to have to try and catch them down the backside. But more, more importantly, you're going to have to shut down so many more weapons because think about it. You get Thielen back, right? Dalvin's playing better. All of a sudden, Diggs is going to show up again. Irv Smith is going to be showing up. Rudy showed up in the Cowboys game, so now he's got a little fire under him. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of weapons right now for Kirk Cousins. This is exactly what what we talked about all off season. That you know the cliche term of there's only one ball to go around. Like they right. finally are getting to that point where it's like, wow, they have every single one of those weapons. And even when Thielen comes back and he's healthy, like you have an option. For every single play, I think Kirk talked about it. Rudolph was the third read on that first touchdown, uh, the one-handed catch, and he was at like, the second option on on the second one. And that's, I think, it just kind of shows you um, how much versatility. Like this is probably the most versatile we've seen the Minnesota Vikings offense this season. Well, Agreed. for sure, and they have more talent than they've had at any point during Zimmer's era. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that now you have another tight end who can go 20 yards down the field and run a dig route and be open against the safety is something that they just haven't had before and opponents have to respect. And once again, Dallas put three linebackers on the field when their third linebacker was not good at football. And that's something that, if I were coming up with a strategy, I would say, look, I know that they're going to run, and I know at times they're going to run over us, but I don't think we could play into their hands 
understand because most number three linebackers in the NFL are garbage at this point. I mean, the Vikings are lucky enough to have Eric Wilson and Ben Gideon who are decent players, but most teams do not have those extra linebackers because they play nickel all the time. I think I would stay nickel or use some sort of hybrid safety if I if I wanted to beat the Vikings, and I would take whatever my best defensive player is in the front seven, linebacker or defensive tackle or defensive end, and I would line them up over Garrett Bradbury every single play. Because, because <laughs> I, I think say that, but then I, they'll, they'll come up with an answer. For but that. I think that that's I think that's where teams beat the Vikings because I don't have to I don't have to come up with an answer for the whole game. I only have to come up for the with an answer against Kirk Cousins for the first drive. If I can scare Kirk Cousins in the first drive, this is what Bill Belichick did with Trey Flowers last year against Pat Elfline. He put him right over Elfline and blasted up the middle a couple of times and scared Kirk with the interior pressure. And then all of a sudden after that. He wasn't as accurate, and he wasn't as comfortable. And we saw that in Kansas City when Chris Jones took Pat Elfline and guided him gently back into Kirk Cousins. There was that feeling of just uncertainty the entire game where he wasn't throwing off of clean uh, platforms. He wasn't stepping into his throws. He was getting kind of anxious. If you can pressure him up the middle early in the game and show him you're going to do that, I think that's the only way to beat this Vikings team. Otherwise, they seem to have an answer for everything. If you're going to stop digs deep, they'll throw screen passes and get 30 yards from Delvin Cook after the catch. Or if you're going to play two safeties deep, they're going to hand it off and they're going to get six, seven yards of carry. I think that's the only way is to, to pound Kirk in the mouth a couple of times early in the game and get him nervous in that pocket where he likes to just sit down in one spot and then you might have a shot. But Stefanski had a counterpunch for that against Dallas by using all the screen passes. Right, and that's what's so funny about this is like no matter how you come at this team right now, they have an answer for it. So I think the more that I'm thinking about it, if you're really going to come for this team, you have to be like a defensive defender. And what I'm seeing by that is like every time I'm watching every week, it seems like everybody just wants to go kill Kirk. And like no matter how bad it looks, like they you we see it's a screen, they know it's a screen, they're still going for Kirk Cousins. It's like they're so aggressive towards him. They want to affect him mentally. You can see teams are just trying to get to him as much as they can, but it's opening up this screen game. So if I were defense i'd say hey listen guys maybe this week we're not going to set kirk but we're going to get close and we're going to shut down this screen game because once you have an answer for the pass game it's like they turn over to the screen game with dalvin fix this fix the pass game for us i mean he was the leading receiver <laughs> yeah. this last week i mean that's incredible our running back he's killing him on the running game and then not only that hey listen we're having a problem in the pass game don't worry guys i'll, I'll open up the screen game for us too and i know that it was just digs out there in in ola bc johnson but are you a little surprised that you're not seeing more underneath routes develop for the receivers, I think Kirk averaged five point six yards per, uh, air yards per attempt, and in the short passing game did work. But most of that, when you look at that number, came off screens. Yeah, and I think that a lot of it too is you know he's still under a little bit of duress. You know, there's mm-hmm. times he's getting hit as the ball's coming out. So I think that this game plan is playing into his favor in the sense that it's like, hey, listen, this is effective for us, and it keeps Kirk safe right now until we can start opening up the bigger plays. So, what is the biggest question for the Vikings on offense? What's the biggest concern or question that we have? This is a pretty big sample of success so far. It remains the same. What do you do when the run game stops? Like, mm-hmm. what's Plan B? We thought we would see it in Kansas City. We haven't. Like, we went out and and I don't understand why people keep saying Dalvin hasn't gone off. Like, he had almost two hundred yards in this game. That's going off for a running back. I don't care who you are. So when you stop that, what is Plan B? When you can comfortably beat a team. Off of plan B, then everyone will be like, all right, this is great. This is a playoff team. We're really excited to watch them. Until you don't, it's like, man, they better figure it out quickly because once you get into the playoffs, every defense is really good, and they really want to stop you. I think I'm probably along line with that because, I mean, going back to Chicago, they didn't have an answer for it. Right. I mean, 
it's been the Achilles heel of this team of like what happens when Dalvin's taken out of the game. And there's just, it, I think that that's the, he's never truly out. Like teams are always going to game plan for the best offensive player. He's the best offensive player, but they still, it's like, it's, you can't make him one dimensional. I just don't think that that's a fair assessment of it because if you take away the run game, you're going to get him involved with screens. You're going to get him involved as a receiver. You could even, I'd love to see him get lined up in the slot more often. I thought that that was going to happen this year, and it really hasn't. He's catching a lot of these passes out of the backfield, which is great and everything, but um, maybe that's the way around it. That's the workaround. I don't know. Um, I think they've got the formula right now with this screen game, whether it's running back screens, sprinkling in a tight end screen here and there. Um, I don't. I think it's honestly going to be when what we saw down the stretch of last year, what, what killed them against Seattle and then the Patriots, when teams are truly doubling Diggs and Thielen the entire game, not relentless on that, that could be when, when we start to see non-traditional bracket coverage and literally just like man-to-man on both of them the entire game, Like if that happens, I think that that's where you're going to start to see this offense need to reinvent itself. Okay, let's take a break. We come back. I want to ask Alex about a potential scheme change to help the cornerbacks because right now it ain't good. And the numbers did not get any better uh, the other night after Dak Prescott nearly put up 400 yards on the Vikings. And I think it's time to take a look at this draft for the Vikings and just how well they did, especially with their second and third round picks and even potentially with one of their sixth round picks and then a seventh round pick as well. Let's talk about it. Let's go through this draft and the impact that those guys are having when we return. It's Purple Daily here on Score North. Don, we made so many adjustments. Uh, we changed coverages. We doubled, uh, you know, Cooper. We doubled him a couple times. We had the coverage tilted to him. Um, you know, they they just he he threw the ball great tonight. Uh, he got the ball out a lot. You know, we finally got to him a couple times with, with our pass rush. You know, we had, you know, unfortunately we had a, a pass interference that probably the TV said some that probably wasn't, but uh, we sacked him on that one, so you know that helped as well. All right, back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin, former Minnesota Viking Alex Boone. I have two questions for you guys. Why don't we vote on which one you want to take first? So I want to ask you guys about Kirk Cousins and being dynamic versus other quarterbacks like Russell Wilson. And I also want to ask you guys if you have a fix for this defense or how much confidence there should be in fixing the past defense. Which one do you want first? You want to, you want to just take a vote? You want to argue about it? I like to go with the defense first because I am right. kind of of the mindset right now, which is just a weird spot to be in, thinking ahead to January. Is this defense going to be what, be what unravels Minnesota's chances of advancing through the playoffs? And, and the reason you, I say that, it's not just these cornerbacks. I mean, yes, Mike Hughes got eaten alive because he had to fill in for Trey Waynes, and Dak Prescott obviously knew that and was just targeting him again and again and again. And... Let's let's just start there because I have an issue when I look at these five corners. They didn't all of a sudden just like forget how to play the position. They didn't all of a sudden just get bad. And maybe it's I don't think it's they're being taught poor technique by Jerry Gray. I just don't believe that the DPI and all of the rules that are coming into play in changing the way that you have to play the cornerback position where your hands are essentially obsolete now. You can't jam, you can't body guys the way that you used to. You literally just have to play the ball, and you can't play cornerback the way that you once did. Could that be 
You know, people look at this matchup. When you play the Vikings, it's a favorable matchup for your wide receivers because Xavier Rhodes is a penalty magnet, and and he's kind of developed a reputation for that just because of the physical way that he plays the games. Now refs are looking for that along with the DPI, and and Trey's kind of gotten the same, gotten in the same uh, rhythm in in a way as Rhodes. I mean, that worries me. If I'm looking at like the the weakest link, it's obviously this pass defense, but I don't have a fix for it because can you? How likely is it that you can just change technique? Because we've right. talked to Mike Zimmer, we've talked to George Edwards about this all season long, and it keeps going back to the techniques and fundamentals. Well, what changes? Because it just doesn't feel like we've seen much. To be fair, some of those catches that Amari Cooper made, yes, of course, of course, were incredible. And he did push off Hughes on that one. Thank you. And to be fair, anybody that calls Harry for holding that was on very that, that was a phantom call. Be a shame. Like I was even texting Matt at the time, like Matt, are we for real about this right now? <laughs> and then remember on the t- the, the one that, that should have been in the end zone, we were texting like, dude, there's the, that was the makeup. That call. was the most makeupy makeup, makeup call absolutely. Of time. Even the fans in the stands were like, all right, we can't even be mad about this right. guy. Like, we, we got one earlier. So I. I agree with you. I think that, and Matt and I have talked about this. I think the refs are ruining this game. I think they're taking these true cornerback players and they're taking them out of their game. And it's making the game not fun for a lot of people. But when you have to do it and you're stuck with these options, I think you have to go back and just play tough and go back to what you know. And you're right. It's not the technique, but a lot of it is turning into some really sweet passes and some really, oh my God, that's an incredible catch or some, you know, and it's sometimes they're just the, the middle of the field's wide open. They run a slant, guy breaks a tackle, he goes off you know when you look at this last game I think you know he obviously didn't want anyone to burn him deep but for the most part when you get into the red zone he's basically saying listen I dare you to throw it now like it's easy to throw the ball between the 20s right I mean there's so much coverage going on there's so much field that's wide open no matter how you shake it there's some it's open somewhere right once you get inside that 20, I want to see you make that throw now because now those windows just got real tight. And they didn't see that. You actually saw them try to go back to the run game at one point. What was that? Yeah. I Are you serious? Zeke's getting stopped all game, and then you try to run him on second and two and third and two. I mean, that. I'm glad you're as incredulous as I was. I yelled in the house. Oh, my God. It was disgusting. I was like, what are you doing? Now that you ran the same play twice? What is that? Like, Jason Garrett, we talked last week about who's going to get fired first. I said, Jason Garrett. I wasn't lying. Yeah, was I'm that? sticking with that. Yeah, he Thank should, you. Jerry should have walked down after the game and said, uh, "Give me the keys. I'm <laughs> like handing him can... to Kellen Moore. That's right. enough." You, no, no, no. We're not handing him to Kellen Moore. He just called the same. Oh yeah, I guess twice. he might have called that. Yeah, all right. You guys got to both go. Like, dude, as the head coach, you got to step in and be like, "Nah, dude. We just you just saw what happened. Did you see Travis Frederick right after that play turns to the sidelines and yells something at Jason Garrett? Like he yelled and. To be fair, I saw the camera angle from like their point of view. That is a tricky block. That when there's a two eye and you have to zone block him because the guard thinks the center's taking him and the center thinks the guard's taking him, so nobody ends up taking him, and that's why he just bust right through there and made that play. But more importantly, why are you calling the same play twice? But I agree with you on this defensive thing, but I think when you look at the big scheme of it, it was kind of like, hey, listen, we're going to give up these big chunk plays. We're not going to get burned deep, and let's see if Dak can really do it in the red zone. All right, so I got an interesting stat here that I was working on digging up because I thought vaguely that I remember the New England Patriots giving up tons of yards but not tons of points in the past. And that was true in 2017 and 18. They ranked 29th and 21st in yards allowed, but 5th and 7th in points. 
So basically, teams were able to move the ball against them, but when they would get to the red zone, uh, they were forcing them during those years. Now they're number one in both, but they were forcing them during those years to have to have 13, 14 play drives to get anywhere and then get all the way down to the red zone when guys are a little more gassed and try to slam it in to the end zone. And, and we saw Dallas do it. We saw Kansas City at times do it. We saw Chicago, Washington have long, long drives against the Vikings where they did not score. And that was kind of the key to the game for the Vikings was bend, don't break. And I think if you can't play the same way you used to, then you have to kind of shift over to this. Like, we're not going to give up big plays. We're going to give up some yards in the middle of the field. We're going to give up field goals, which is mostly fine in the NFL if you're giving up field goals, especially if their dopey coach wants to kick it from 57. Uh, instead of trying to get six yards with the quarterback who's playing like Joe Montana, I will never understand that. Um, but that might be the shift. That It might not necessarily be something they do majorly schematic, but just in terms of philosophy. One thing I want to know how the workaround is going to be. So we know Linville Joseph just had meniscus surgery. Um, as much as Mike Zimmer said, like, yeah, there's a chance he'll be back next week. No, he's probably going to be out past the bye. I mean, I've heard as much as four weeks, something like that. Like, the pass rush that was not there is what created those third and 12s, third and 14s, all the ones that Mike Hughes got torched on, especially the one he gave up for the touchdown. Right. Um, how are they going to work around this? Because while they did stop Ezekiel Elliott, and that's a credit to Shamar Stefan, he played lights out and he was really, really good up front. How are they going to be? They had no interior push with that defensive line. And to me, that's kind of a worrisome thing when you're looking at here down the stretch, especially against that Seattle, in that Seattle game against Russell Wilson. You need to have that because if you give him third and 12, he's probably going to convert. Right. Well, when you're playing Russell Wilson, I think we just saw the formula that changes. Like you have to find mm-hmm. a way to just get this guy not to throw the ball. I mean, he's incredible, but you're right. You're talking about. A team changes, especially defensively, when you're looking at them and you're like, hey, listen, if there's going to be pressure this week, it's going to be from the outside. So if anything, the interior's got to step up. All right, cool. <clears throat> when you look at some teams, you're like, listen, it could come from anywhere. You're like, oh, boy, this gets really tricky. Because then you get a defensive genius like Mike Zimmer who's just going to pick you apart because he's going to be like, listen, we're going to walk up one linebacker in the A-gap, and all of a sudden their entire protection goes back to 5-0. Everything that looked amazing before that helps all of their weak players are just going to go 5-0. Mike's smart enough to find that. I mean, he's one of these geniuses that could go up there and be like, listen, we put two or three guys up there, it's going to ruin everybody. So I think that when you talk about playing teams like that down the stretch, yeah, you're right. The push in the middle needs to kind of go up. I think they did really well this last game. I think you talk about holding Zeke to 50 yards. That's incredible. Oh, of course. And to me, they knocked him out early. Like yep. he looked like he didn't want any of the smoke. He was kind of like, listen, maybe maybe we, maybe we play this game tomorrow night. What do you think? Like, <laughs> he, they kept showing him on the sidelines and he just had this blank stare on his face like he wasn't excited. He was kind of like, do I have to go back out there? These guys are fired up. Kendrick's brought the fire. I mean, th- th- you look at this defense. I'm not really I was when I'm watching the game, but then I'm looking at all these games, and there's a trend. The people are moving the ball. Even bad teams are moving the ball. But you get in the red zone, and you get nothing out of it. And it's like, well, eventually, it'll show up in the score. You know I mean? It's it's just the way this game is because cornerbacks can't be as aggressive. Teams are like, hey, listen, we're, it is what it is. We'll wait till we get in the red zone, and we'll stop the run. And that's just how you have to play football sometimes. Alex Boone, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. Now let me ask you question number two, which when I watch – Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson, 
Uh, Carson Wentz, when he's at his best, can do a lot of this too. There are a lot of dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL who can do just about anything at any time. You can make the dumbest play call in the entire world as an offensive coordinator, and then Russell Wilson will just slip out of a tackle and run and throw the ball on third and fifteen. You'd be like, I called that. Yep, that was uh, <laughs> that. You, yeah, yep, totally Russ, plan. That's just what. That's what I said. That's what I told him to do. And then there are Jimmy Garoppolo's and Kirk Cousins's and Jared Goff's of the world who are more you dial it up and they'll do exactly what you say and if your play call works man it's going to work and if it doesn't then it certainly isn't i think Derek Carr is a lot of this way too that there are certain quarterbacks that are now falling into these categories i wonder about which one of these will come out sort of on top which will be as we go forward here in the kirk cousins era in minnesota which could be much longer than next year depending on how he plays the rest of the way I wonder if the league is going to trend much more toward the dynamic players and it's going to be harder and harder for the quarterbacks like Cousins and Garoppolo to win. Do, do you guys agree with that? Disagree with that? How do you view this? I agree. I agree with it because I think, like, take a look at what happened last night. So Emmanuel Sanders gets hurt in the beginning of the second quarter and Jimmy Garoppolo's play significantly declined. I'm looking at the stats right now. So his completion percentage before 10 of 15. 14 of 31 after that. And he had the interception, obviously, uh, and he was sacked four times. Like, that, to me, is kind of what we've talked about with Kirk Cousins all along, that he kind of needs status quo at all times to be at his best. I mean, he didn't have that in Dallas, but they had a workaround for it because they had a long enough period to game plan. It wasn't like Thielen was hurt at 10-11 in the second quarter like Sanders was. They knew they were going to be without him. Kirk said post-game they knew they had to reinvent what they were doing offensively. Now, if it happens in-game, that's where I would be most concerned because that's what happened in Kansas City. You lose Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs is completely taken away, and you don't have a run. You run. You were a little bit too much too late with the screen game, and you couldn't generate a run game with Dalvin Cook. So I think you're probably more on the end of what happened with Jimmy Garoppolo as you are with Cousins than him being able to overcompensate for an offense that might be lacking its top playmaker. I think it's a tough question, only in the sense that when you're talking about both these different quarterbacks, you're talking about two different offenses, and there's two different ways to think about it. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo is a great quarterback. He's a great quarterback just like Kirk Cousins is because they're great game managers. They know Mm -hmm. how to play safe football, be effective with the football. I know my reads. I know my targets. I know where I'm going. I know where my hot route is. I know the answer to any problem that comes my way. But then you say, like, a Russell Wilson, like a guy who, you're right, at times maybe you didn't call that play. Maybe he just made it look really good and made you look better. But I think that when you're looking at this, you're saying, man, two completely different offenses because – for Jimmy, if you shut down the first, second, and third window, man, it is over. Like he is, you're going to get hit. And not only that, but you, all you need is one playmaker on defense that we saw last night to show up and just wreak havoc on the O line. And players like that can't go anywhere because they don't like to move around. You're right. Like he looks natural at times when he runs, but under duress, he doesn't look natural. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like Russell Wilson always looks natural. You could be chasing him with a machete. And he would be like, dude, this is like a Tuesday. He never falters. I think as an offensive lineman, I've played with both. They're both scary at times, like you said. Like sometimes when you're running around with the ball, you get very careless. There's a lot on your mind. You're trying to make it look really good and the ball gets loose. You saw that last night. Like he handed it off to his old lineman. What the hell was that? And why did the lineman run what? with it? I mean, where I'll was say, he? Headed? What are you doing? Where, where was he you going? Know, you know better. We I'm gonna score. <laughs> Somebody got fined for sure after that, <laughs> right? Just oh, calm down. That was bad. But then you look at and you say, Hey, listen. 
listen, at times he's going to get us out of that situation, but at times he's going to be reckless with the ball, and it's going to cost us the game. So I think you live and you die with whatever that quarterback is. Like last night with Jimmy. They're going to live and die with that. Hey, listen, Jimmy got hit a couple times. You're right. Didn't look good. We're going to clean it up. Like, they're not like, oh, man, I wish I had a running quarterback at this. You know what I'm saying? Like, they know what they have. So I think when you're looking at the success of it, it's so hard to judge. It's so hard because – look. There's so many more pocket passers, I feel like, than there are running around quarterbacks. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. There's not many Always quarterbacks. Right. And because it's so hard to throw the ball on the run. It's so hard to be accurate on the run. And it's also like, hey, listen, if our quarterback takes a hit in any which way, it could ruin the entire season for us. And that's a big loss. There has been um, a change in how dynamic... Uh, these players are, or in in what way they are. I think it's always existed that the dynamic quarterbacks have won. Your John Elway or your Steve Young, for example. Um, Joe Montana could go off schedule easily and make plays. Tom Brady goes off schedule and make plays. He he just shuffles his giant legs around as opposed to running. But now That's you have now you have running guys. I mean, he he slides in the pocket and he moves away from. It's just he really run. It's more of just like a he's a pocket like passer. A, Let's yeah, just like say sliding that. He's, though. He's not even that. But I think he can go off schedule when things go wrong. When he gets rushed, he can dodge a rusher, and then he can make a play to maybe a receiver that he didn't expect to go to in a snap second. Well, this goes back to what we talked about during the offseason and what Kirk said, that they wanted him to improvise more, not necessarily run more and all of a sudden become Lamar Jackson out there. They wanted him to be able to see what the defense is doing, escape the pocket, take off, get a first down each game with his legs, um, and, and slide, actually, and see where the first down marker yeah, is. So it's an accurate first, first down. I mean, that's um, like asking but, me to windmill dunk. Like, it's just not a thing that can happen. But you, so, so do you not think that, I mean, we haven't seen it happen. No, it's never gonna it's gonna going to happen. That's just not who he is. And, and that's where I'm really interested to see how this plays out as we go into the playoffs. Like, will the dynamic quarterback sort of rise to the top here? Uh, let's take a quick break. We come back. We've got neck rolls to hand out. Alex Boone, Matthew Collar, Courtney Ronan on Purple Daily. Jonathan here with your Score North download. We'll make it quick. You can download the Score North mobile app and make sure you register for listening rewards. This month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Visa gift card just for having the mobile app. All you need to do, download that app, register that app, and enter for listening rewards. Or enter through listening rewards. Simple as that. And you have a chance to win a $200 Visa gift card this month. That's when your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. Once upon a time, the NFL was tough, and the fullbacks wore neck rolls. Each week, we learn that the league hasn't gone soft, and for the player who demonstrated the most grit, we award the neck roll of the week. It is time to hand out our neck rolls for acts of extreme toughness. Who wants to start here? Alex Boone, Courtney Cronin. Who's got a good one? I mean, I think I'll go. I okay, think go did, ahead. I Jump think my in. neck roll this week is going to be perfect because after what he did last night and watching him just take over a game, I mean, dude. I want to give one to the whole Seattle team because I think that they played really tough. And not only that, but Pete Carroll, the whole game. Like, have you ever really looked at him during a game and seen the way he just kind of jokes with guys? Did you notice, maybe you did it, at overtime when they did the coin flip, you know, he called heads. Did you see when they panned over to the sidelines and they flipped it and it was heads? Like, the whole sideline went nuts. Yeah. And Pete Carroll was, like, starting it. He was starting a mosh pit in the middle because they all (laughs) thought it was hilarious that he picked heads over tails. Like, 
This whole team, to me, deserved a neck roll because they played so tough to go down in Levi's, and especially Jadavian Clowney, what he did to mm-hmm. that offense was just, I mean, oh my God, you should, that's the formula of how you beat that team. But the whole team, to, to overtime, the whole game not give in, to play tough against that defense, dude, the whole team gets a neck roll for sure. My neck roll is going to go to Christian McCaffrey. I could have given him one at any point this season, but 108 rushing yards on 20 attempts in that weather, in those conditions, and the fact that he was, you know, I don't hate the play call. I really don't. The run on second down right at the goal line, he's an inch short from breaking that plane. This team, and I'm, and I'm not one of these truthers that says, hey, if Christian McCaffrey picks up two yards here and two yards in that other game that is currently escaping my mind, that they'd be a 7-2 and two team. He is carrying this team every step of the way, keeping the Panthers in the playoff conversation. The Carolina Panthers are his team. He is the most important part of that offense, and every week he brings it. So, I mean, that alone, though, watching him do that in the snow was awesome. I'm going to go with one of my favorite players in the entire NFL, Cameron Hayward. He had three quarterback hits, two passes defended, and a sack in his game against uh, the Los Angeles Rams, and a win that... For the Vikings was actually really big because that's one of the teams you're trying to fend off if you're going to get a wild card spot if uh, Green Bay holds on and wins the North. And that was a huge win for Pittsburgh to beat Los Angeles. And their defense is playing so incredibly well. I wouldn't be shocked if Pittsburgh makes the playoffs with Mason Rudolph and that guy, Cameron Hayward, one of the elite players in the NFL. I didn't even fully realize how great he was till he played the Vikings and I watched mm-hmm. it back on tape and he just eight all day long and to, to add in a couple of passes a defended is, is just great well same for, thing with Minka Fitzpatrick Hibbert. too I mean yeah that like, whole defense could get it insane. Yes. but I just I love Cameron Hayward I think he's really really tough on the inside so neck rolls every week on Thursday Alex you will be back preview Vikings and Denver Broncos Can't which wait. you know it's, it's a football Fangio? it's a football game yeah Vic Fangio oh. This is going to be like a 9-3 to game, isn't it? It could be. It could be. Um, Courtney, I will see you out at TCO Performance Center tomorrow. Coming up next, Mackie and Judd with Rami. Here, you're listening to Score North. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.